The CC Way, episode 11, with Olympian Lauren Gibbs. And I'm going to rephrase that. Olympic medalist Lauren Gibbs. Smart work versus hard work. One day, two woodcutters have argued which one of them will cut more wood during the day. In the morning, two men took up their positions. First, they worked at one speed. But in one hour, one of them has heard that the other one stopped cutting trees. Realizing that this was his chance, the first woodcutter started to cut trees with double efforts. Ten minutes passed and he heard that the second woodcutter started to work again. They were working almost synchronously. When the first woodcutter heard that his opponent had stopped again, the first woodcutter continued working, feeling the smell of victory. This lasted all day long. Each hour, one of the woodcutters stopped for ten minutes, and the other one continued to work. When time expired, the first woodcutter, who worked without any stopping, was absolutely sure that he had won the prize. He was very surprised to know that this was a mistake. How did that happen? He asked his partner. Each hour I heard that you have stopped the work for 10 minutes. How could you cut more trees than I? It's impossible. It is very simple, in fact, answered the second woodcutter. Each hour I stopped the work for 10 minutes, and when you were cutting the trees, I sharpened the axe. This is the CC Way, a show about grit, character, life philosophy, fitness, leadership, and service, and what it takes to choose strength. My name is Scott McGee. I'm a family man, friend, thinker, and a peaceful warrior with an open mind and unconquerable soul. Now, Lauren, welcome. Thank you. And I was just telling Lauren before we started the show that I chose that short story because of... A, the hard work and the focus on uh, like a singular goal. And when you have those two things, what can stop you? A natural disaster. That's about it. Like, like from a movie though, not like a normal, yeah, not, no. like one a little earthquake ain't no, gonna stop like, you. No, like the, something has to swallow the earth. <laughs> <laughs> that, hey man, knock on wood, all right? Seriously. Uh, so, if you guys don't know, uh, Lauren and I, we've known each other, I don't know, since the old days of CrossFit? 2012, maybe? Maybe before then? 2011? I don't know. And that's why I'm rocking the Stay Brutal shirt. I like it. For OCCF. Shout out to Orange boy, Coast CrossFit. And our boy, Kenny Leverage. But, sweet, sweet Kenny. And you've been on the Wadcast uh, several times over the years. Even pre-Olympic uh, Dreams. I think it was right when I started bobsledding, like after my first season. Because for a while you were like the, at least in the Southern California area, you were like the strong chick, Mm -hmm. like the the girl that was deadlifting more than most of the dudes. I still think I'm that girl. Yeah, probably. Probably. Well, I don't know. Guys have gotten a lot stronger these days. Yeah, so. Yeah, I know you got me. (laughs) But um, one thing I, 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 before we even get into anything, I wanted to thank you. Because part of the reason the show got started was after recording one of the episodes of the Wattcast, we were having a private conversation and you said to me, uh, do you remember what you said? I don't. You said, I say a lot of things. You said that you, said you are more, more emotionally intelligent than this. <laughs> <laughs> Something along those lines. Yeah. I was like, eh, you got me there. You're right. Yeah. Well, I think you just, you wanted to talk about things that mattered to you more. And I think that when you focus on doing things that matter to you, 
it's a lot more fun and you're happier. So. Yeah. And, and also time is a, is a privilege. And then what you do with it is important. Absolutely. Yeah. If you're going to spend time away from your kids, time away from, you know, whatever it is that is important to you from your wife, then it better be well spent. And that's a good segue to talk about why I haven't had an episode out recently. Uh, the last episode I recorded was, I don't know, probably three and a half weeks ago from right now. And I really want to, I want to be on the same page with all the listeners. And that is, I don't want to feel pressured to have this show feel it has to be released every week. I think if, if certain podcasts get under that pressure, then it starts to lose some quality. And so I don't record an episode just because, oh, it's Friday. I have to record an episode. So hurry up and get one done. These are done when I feel like I have to do them. Mm-hmm. Like the passion is overwhelming. I really want to talk to like somebody. Like the story is important. Yeah. yeah. And I don't want to just have an episode recorded just because a week's up. So that's kind of the goal. And I also want to do it when I can focus on it and I have the time and I'm not going to hurt anybody. And lately, um, my mom hasn't been doing so well. And she's kind of turned into a, a full-time job. She's become like a, another two-and-a-half-year-old baby for me to take care of. Mm-hmm. And she lives about 10 miles from me. So she's been in and out of the hospital, going to doctor's appointments, um, trying to get her food, lift her spirits. I mean, for those of you that have elderly mothers that, or fathers that aren't doing well, um, she's like on the verge of like being put in a home. Mm. So I'm trying to recover her and take care of her. You know, So that's where my focus has been. And... I didn't want to move away from taking care of my family just to record a podcast episode because ultimately that's part of the reason for this podcast in the first place Right, is to leave messages and leave cookie trails and little balls of lights for my kids one day to find. That's really cool. That's really cool. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, so that's what I'm saying. You start thinking about purpose and like time and family. And so this isn't just a thing that I'm doing. This is, this is, uh, has a huge purpose and, I invite people that I have tremendous amount of respect and can learn from and also feel that my kids can learn from. Well, shoot. I feel special now. <laughs> well, no, you should feel special. No, I do. I'm serious. Because <laughs> I think, uh, I don't know, I'm not tied into people's like social media. Like I think a lot of times, oh, you want to come on the show? Well, let me see how many followers you have. <laughs> like I, I, That doesn't matter to yeah. me. Or people's fame don't matter to me. That's good because I'm not famous. No, what matters is, A, like, are you a good person? Are you happy? And do you have drive? And are you resilient? And do you have a cool story to tell? And one thing I really like about you is that you are proud of you. Yeah. You are confident and you Mm. believe in yourself. And those are things I think that people can learn from. So, I also don't want this show with Lauren to be necessarily a huge uh, biography, like chapter one, <laughs> you started playing sports, right? And then chapter two. <laughs> so I was born March second, nineteen eighty four. And then uh, you had parents, and you went to school, and you yeah. did homework. <laughs> so uh, a couple things that are important, though, is we'll talk about it a little bit, and only because of the importance of the path shows that it's not a textbook path to what it means to become an Olympian. Mm-hmm. And that you don't necessarily need those that you can forge your own path. 
Absolutely. And yeah. I don't think it's just about becoming an Olympian. I think it's about um, finding what you're meant to do in general. Like, it just happened to be that that was my path. But, like, you know, it's it's leading to a lot of different things that are bigger than that. Like, I don't know, being an Olympian is special, and it's something not, no one can ever take away from me, and I, I wear the rings with pride. Um, but it's become so much more than that, which I think is the coolest part. Do you have that thought go through your head, like, every day, or just... Not every day, but I was driving over here and I was like, oh, man. I saw a picture. Um, like I was at a stoplight and a notification came up and I saw a picture and it was a picture of my pilot and I, Alana, uh, standing right after, I think it was the flower ceremony and it said silver. And like she's kind of looking up at me because I'm taller than her. And I was like, man, that was a cool moment. Like I'm an Olympian. So yeah, every once in a while, it's not like every day I wake up and I'm like, my name's Lauren Gibbs and I'm an Olympian. But there are moments where you forget about it and then you remember that it happened and that those are pretty special. Yeah, that is something that you can never get taken away. Mm-hmm. You know, there's only one more thing that's more powerful than that, right? What? Mom. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, that's true. That's true. But Still working on that yeah, one. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but it reminds me of this thing, that I, a little mantra that I say to myself a lot. And I'm not sure if I've talked about it here on, the, on social media, but... And that is pain now, pride forever. Now you can get after going and all those days of training and all that, all the pain and, and discomfort you go through ultimately because you get to the goal and then you have pride forever. Mm. And it makes, it makes sense. Pain now, pride forever. Yeah. So if you guys don't know, Lauren, you went to high school. You went to college. Mm-hmm. Hashtag humble brag, went to an Ivy League school I at did. Brown. <laughs> I did. Uh, and you started playing volleyball at Brown. Mm-hmm. Mm, no, I mean, I started playing volleyball my sophomore year of high school. So still late. But. Yeah, wh- but why do you end up picking volleyball? Uh, I'd been playing soccer for eight years, and I just, it, I wasn't good enough to play in college. And so uh, someone was like, you should try volleyball. And I'd played, like, just messed around a bit in, like, at school. Um, and so I tried out for a, for a club team and my dad was like, we're not going to put you in volleyball cause you're not going to play in college. So what's the point? Like you just quit soccer, you just quit violin, you just quit piano. <laughs> He's like, why would we do this? And so I was like, just let me go to the tryout and if I'm good, then I can do it. And he was like, all right, you're playing volleyball. <laughs> and that was that. First of all, so far your parents are awesome cause they're exposing you to a lot of different things. Yeah. I can't believe you quit violin. Well, actually, it was viola. Sorry. Oh, viola. Is it a smaller one? <laughs> no, it's the bigger one. I have really long arms. Viola. Yeah. I had a really good teacher who was in the Philharmonic. It's just I would fall asleep during my lessons, like standing up, because I was coming from soccer practice. So my mom was like, you got to pick one or the other. <laughs> and so I picked sports. I remember in fifth grade trying to play clarinet. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting in the classroom you know, with my hand on the little buttons <laughs> and I could just hear, I could hear the kids out there playing sports, playing kickball. <laughs> and it just hit me like, I'm done. Yeah. I broke my thing apart. <laughs> it That's it. That was it. I'm like, I need to go out there. I played a mean recorder though. Like a mean recorder. I had my own recorder. I really liked the recorder. <laughs> so, um, 
one thing that I found in doing some some research and in reading some of the interviews and stuff, and I don't remember exactly where the source is, but I remember reading about your college coach, uh, Diane Short, mm-hmm. and she was being asked about your, uh, you know, asked about your um, experience in the Olympics, and I don't know if this was before or after. it must have been after you medaled. Mm-hmm. And if you guys don't know, she won silver in this last Winter Olympics. And can you say the city? Because you say it much better than I do. Pyeongchang. Do they teach you how to say it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the because, whole class. Because there's another uh, country that is in North Korea that is Pyongyang. So <laughs> you get it wrong. Uh, or Pyongyang. So if you get it wrong, it's, you know. All right. All yeah. right. So she said that when she found out about yourself, she says it was not a surprise at all. And I immediately just wrote that down. <laughs> That's funny that she said that because I was a piece of crap athlete when I played for her. Well, but she, she continues saying that she was a fierce competitor and you never folded under pressure. That's true, but I was pretty lazy. Like, as like preparation-wise, I relied far too much on natural talent um, and never really pushed myself in college. Why do you think that was? Uh, I was young and things came relatively easy to me athletic wise. And I think in most cases, because I was decently good at so many things, when things got difficult, I was more afraid to fail uh, than I wanted to succeed. So I would just kind of back off a little bit and just go do something else. And then with volleyball, um, I really loved it, but I didn't like doing things I wasn't good at. And so because I started volleyball so late in my athletic career, there were a lot of holes in my game. And I think I was in, probably looking back on it now embarrassed by it. So like, I really don't like passing. Like people here, I, I play volleyball, they're like, oh, let's pepper. I was like, I can't pepper to save my life because that requires quite a bit of ball control. And I, I just don't have that. I'm really good at jumping really high and slamming the ball down and then blocking the crap out of it. And that's about it. Is pepper the little, the little finger like, yeah, it's when you're like back and forth and you're setting, passing, and hitting back and forth. It's like hacky sack, but with your hands. Exactly. All right. I'm terrible at volleyball hacky sack. One thing, and the reason I'm asking, because, and again, this is not, not about me, but in college when I was playing football, I, I played hard. I tried hard. Mm-hmm. But I didn't realize I left so much on the table until I was hurt mm-hmm. and used and, and realized that there was an opportunity to get better and now there's an opportunity to assert myself. Right. And losing, losing the ability to like walk normal, losing the ability to play Frisbee at the beach. And that's not like a normal thing that I do, but there was a day right. that my buddies were there and I couldn't go do it. Right. Uh, losing the ability to, you know when you cross the street and you see a car coming, you kind of like speed up a little bit. Mm-hmm. You're like, ah, I couldn't do that. Yeah. I'm like, sorry, bro. I'm, yeah. I'm just a turtle. Someone like op- holds the door open for you. You kind of yeah. You kind of like oh yeah. Can't do that. Nope. 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 Uh, nope. I couldn't get off the toilet happening. normal. It's yeah. It's unfortunately as I think as humans we there's a lot of things we take for granted until they're gone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but that that boy oh boy that I think to this day it was I uh, blew up my hamstring really bad. <laughs> I still think to this day that that particular uh, that moment in that lesson was probably so far my best one because mm-hmm. it totally set me on the path that I'm on now. 
And that is appreciation. And isn't it nice that that lesson was, in the grand scheme of things, a pretty small setback? Like, I I am always grateful for lessons that aren't life-changing in a negative way, you know? Like, you didn't have to lose a foot Mm. to figure that out. You just had to pull a hamstring. But most lessons, though, are through suffering and pain and disappointment. Sometimes. At least least the big ones that, that... well, I think maybe they probably come to you. Maybe it's like the one I needed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I learned really early on that I had special parents and that I should be grateful for my parents and that never to leave an argument angry because you just don't know how long you have with them. And so, but I, I learned that through watching other people's pain. So I think if you're paying attention, there can be lessons that are learned without experiencing the pain themselves. It's just as human beings, you know, yeah. We think we're invincible and those things can't happen to us. Yep. Yep. And that is uh, the first line of my little t- tagline that has become, and that is health is wealth. Mm-hmm. And be, man, and I think another big por- por- part of this whole show has been the appreciation for healthy parents. And that goes in a lot of different directions. It's also like if you're a parent yourself or have parents, it's all related and paying attention that it's not permanent. Yeah. And if you had that early on, um, one of the, you see that baseball behind me? It's up on the shelf. Yes. I don't normally, if you look around, I don't have like pictures of myself. I don't have trophies mm-hmm. up in here. I don't have like. You just have a really cool Batman mask. <laughs> which is so <laughs> random. <laughs> that was a gift. And some like warrior helmet. <laughs> it's, uh, it's Maximus Decimus Meridius. Oh, okay. From Gladiator. Oh, nice. <laughs> you wear that every now and then or what? Uh, you know what's funny? No, some weird. World I, I actually, stuff. I actually have like my own helmet that I wear. <laughs> Me too. It's but in the that, car. that helmet up there is really uncomfortable. <laughs> and then my buddy one day found out I had one, mm-hmm. and he asked if he could wear it for Halloween. He's like, I just need it for a party I'm going to. I'm like, Yeah, sure, man. But just you know, it's like there's no padding in it. Right. It's all metal. It's gonna sit. It sits on the bridge of your nose. He's like, Ah, oh, it's okay. It's just for some pictures. So I let him borrow it, mm-hmm. and then he gave it back to me. And now there's all kinds of like neoprene padding in there. So so I'm like, this is genius. So he filled it up with padding. But that's nice. Yeah, all that all the gifts. But circle back uh, to the, the baseball. That baseball is must have been in like sixth grade, and oh dang, that thing's old, right? <laughs> but so this is a little bit a little lesson early on in appreciation for my dad that I didn't really I didn't realize till later on in life. Mm-hmm. So I went to bat. Bases are loaded. And when, when you're a kid and you go up to bat, a lot of times you're thinking, don't strike out, mm-hmm. right? And just try and hit the ball. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I was doing. Up to bat, and the pitcher didn't really have much heat. You know, he's like a pitching machine. Mm-hmm. And my dad just yells at me. He says, Scotty, hit a home run. And it was very like a, like a specific goal. Mm-hmm. And he like, told me, like, I'm like, huh. Okay. I've never actually tried that. I've yeah. never come up and tried to hit a home run. That's funny because every time I went up to bed, I was trying to hit a home run. I'm just swinging away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, in T-ball, I used to do that. Like, I'd never take the T. I'd just yeah. strike out or hit the ball. But either way, I go up, crank it, goes over the fences, hit a grand slam. And then all the kids on my team signed it. And that, oh, was, a, cool. that was like, I have it up there because it's a lesson in asserting yourself mm-hmm. and actually trying to do something. And not just staying status quo and mm-hmm. going about your your day or your life because it's safe. Yeah. And I think that resonates with your story as well. Yeah. Sitting in 
your fancy business suit. Were you working for ADT yet? Or, or yeah. You, that was during ADT times? I was leaving ADT and transitioning to a job at Truemaker um, because I just I didn't like how uh, ADT was run at the time because I think it was going through some flux and, and it just I just I was trying to work with the powers that be to make it better for me and the people that worked for me and it just wasn't working so I was like I, I gotta go but yeah prior to the person coming up and telling you hey you should go out for the Olympics did you have like a feeling like I don't know if this is for me oh every day yeah Sundays used to make me really sad because like I was like, I got to go do something for the next five days that I just, it's just miserable. And it wasn't the work that I was doing. It was leading a group of people and knowing that I couldn't help them be better because the system was flawed. Like people weren't hitting their sales numbers. People couldn't pay their bills. Um, You know, the system, the infrastructure that we were working with was flawed so like at the end of the month uh, batches of orders would get canceled accidentally but then people would miss out on money and a bonus and then not be able to pay their bills and like how many times can someone come into my office and tell me that you know their paycheck was wrong and like I've been in business and sales since I was 18 and the first thing I learned is never mess with people's income because that's their livelihood and how they take care of their family um and there was just nothing I could do to fix it. Like there's, there were too many things out of my control because I will go above and beyond to fix things. Like that's my favorite thing is to come up with solutions and fix things. Um, but it just, it wasn't possible. And we had new leadership that had no concept of what, how hard the job was for my sales reps and how hard it was for my sales managers. And they had no empathy. And so I was like, well, if you're not even going to try to understand the process, then it's not going to get better. And I can, you know, pound my head against this wall over and over again. Yeah. So when I, I left, I went a little Jerry Maguire on them and <laughs> put out. <laughs> you take a fish? No. But I put together a 21 page, because I called my CEO and I was like, this is why I'm leaving. And he was like, can you tell the VP this? So I put together a 21 page PowerPoint on some of the critical issues because I was in the middle of my MBA at that point. So all of my work was yeah. in my MBA was on ADT. And so I had all the numbers and facts and, you know, and I don't think they did anything with it. So that's unfortunate for them. What do you think you'd be doing if it wasn't for the Olympics? I I'm don't saying know. Olympics. I, I, I don't, I don't or know. Just bobsledding. Yeah. yeah just I was, I wanna... finding a different path. Yeah. I honestly don't know. Um, because I may still be working for Truemaker, but that that didn't feel right either. I think I'm a true millennial in the sense that I have a really hard time doing something every day that I'm not that I don't love or I don't see purpose in, or when I don't see the ability to create order. Like I, I love routine, and I love to make things efficient and. Um, when I don't see the channels or the ability to do that, then it's hard. I think it would have been easier with TrueMaker because it's a startup mm-hmm. and the CEO is a good friend of mine and I think he would have given me the autonomy to run with whatever I need to run with. Um, but I think at that point I was so burnt out on sales in general that it, it, it would have been tough. So I honestly don't know. And I think part of 
leading a happy life starts with knowing yourself. Hence my sign up here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't have a, uh, an easy answer for this myself. And I tend to ask a lot of the guests that come on. But how does somebody find what makes them happy? You Well, first of all, you have to be committed to wanting to be happy because happiness is a choice. Like you have to be able to sit down and, and think about what are the things that are making you unhappy and then have the guts to cut those out of your life. So whether it's a person, whether it's a situation, and then also, you know, I'm really lucky that I've been really successful in my work and like money isn't everything, but I couldn't have done what I have did if I didn't have savings and I didn't have a business background and I didn't, and I wasn't 30 something. And I didn't have supportive family and friends. Cause like that first year of bobsled, I raised $10,000. So, you know, it's so easy to say, follow your passion. But like yeah, yeah. <laughs> in this day and age, if you don't have the finances to do that, it's really difficult. So sometimes you have to stick in with what you're doing to find that. And then as far for me, I made a, uh, in 2000, what was it, 12 or 13, I was unemployed for, I think, seven months, and I was collecting unemployment and just sitting on a couch and, like, looking at applying for jobs, and every interview I wanted was just crap, and it just I just didn't want to do it anymore, and then I made a decision, and I made a promise to myself that any opportunity that was presented to me in an interview, I would take the interview. At a bare minimum, I would take the interview and see it through. Uh, because you just never know. And so, you know, I, I, I had started working at an um, <laughs> inside sales job selling server warranties. And I told the guy, I was like, dude, this is not going to be the business for me. <laughs> like, I'm going to get bored sitting at a desk. I'm going to be there for three months max and leave. And he's like, no, you're going to love it. It's going to be great. You're going to make a ton of money. And what people don't understand is even though I'm in a sales background, there's no amount of money that can make me do something that I just don't. I don't like, like if I am motivated, no one can stop me. If I'm unmotivated, no one can get me to do what I don't want to do. It's like great and terrible all at the same time. So while I was working at that job, I got the call about ADT and an outside sales rep position. I was like, I have no desire to knock on doors ever again. Cause I didn't, I've done that before and it was just not my, not, it didn't vibe with who I was, but I went to the interview anyways. And, uh, I remember walking in and the, the guy interviewed me. I was like, Ooh, you're cute. And I was like, all right, this is fine. So we're sitting there talking and he's like showing me like, you know, how much money I can make. And I go, look, dude, I want to be honest with you. I'm sure there's a great opportunity, but it's not the opportunity for me. Like if I'm going to get into outside sales, I'm going to do sales management and it doesn't look like you're going anywhere anytime soon. But if anything comes up like that, please let me know. And he's like, that's funny. My boss is here. He saw your resume. He thinks it's great. And there's an opening in orange County. And I was living in San Diego at the time. And so I met with him the next day. And, you know, long story short, I ended up getting that sales manager position in Orange County. I was in that role for probably about a year and a half, applied to um, uh, a promotion in New York, New Jersey. And I was applying against the guy that interviewed me. So he ended up getting it. He moved there, reconnected with, like, his... uh, college sweetheart now they're married with twins like it's amazing I didn't get that job I got the job in Atlanta I was in Atlanta for two weeks and my boss goes don't sign any paperwork don't don't rent any property like the job you just moved for no longer exists because the company just restructured and so he's like you're going to move to Denver and if all of that hadn't come together I wouldn't be an Olympian right now 
So it's just, you know, adversity has a funny way of yep. making yep. things happen. But I think the, the point is, is that I had in a, in a moment where I just wasn't my best self, you know, I was 27 years old, 26 years old, sitting on the couch watching TNT, not showering, brushing my hair, brushing my teeth, and just feeling like a failure. I was like, my parents have spent a half a million dollars on my education at this point, and I can't find a job. I made a decision at that point that at a bare minimum, I could take opportunities and see them through. And it was, I think it was that decision in that moment that has brought me to where I am today. The, the, the feeling that you had on that couch versus the, the feeling you have right now, what's the difference? Um, I think the difference is now I understand what it is I want to do in this world. And when I was sitting on that couch, it's like if someone asked me, what do you want? I would have been like, I, I don't know. And I think that's the hardest part about where we are today for kids in this and like you know I really want to get into public speaking and tell my story because I think it's an important one I really wish I'd heard this story when I was graduating from college because now everybody goes to college like going to college doesn't make you special back when my parents went to college if you went to college you could basically write your ticket but I graduated from Brown in the middle of a recession essentially and couldn't find a job that would pay me more than ten dollars an hour and Brown's supposed to be special, and it is, but it's supposed to, like, my understanding is that, you know, if I graduate from an Ivy League, I can write my ticket, and that wasn't enough. And I just remember feeling like I'd screwed everything up, and there was no coming back from this, and it would just be easier if I didn't exist anymore. And so when I started thinking like that, I was like, all right, it's time for some therapy, because, like, (laughs) (laughs) I I haven't done anything so wrong for me to feel this way. And so I'm really fortunate. My dad's a clinical psychologist. He paid for me to go to therapy. And there are some just, like, really dark times where I was like, I'm not as special as I thought I was. I'm definitely not as intelligent as I thought I was. And, um, yeah, the world doesn't owe me anything. So I'm really going to have to figure this out for myself. Like I'm going to have to like put some effort into it. Cause up until then, you know, high school was fairly easy. You know, sports came easy college. I didn't work that hard. Um, so I was like, Oh, I'm really going to have to work to get these like nice things that I want. Like it's not just going to come to me because I'm the chosen one. So, yeah, I think there's one, Man, he touched on a whole lot of stuff, but asserting yourself is a huge decision, mm-hmm. hence the baseball. But also, just like uh, sharpening the axe, but then having an axe to sharpen and figuring out a why or what somebody wants to do is very difficult for a lot of people. I've talked about, I went to, I took some like personality career courses mm-hmm. at, at SMC. I read a bunch of books. I took a bunch of tests. Mm-hmm. They all didn't help me because it was just like right down the middle and everything. <laughs> but it takes a little bit of, of self-discovery. And the reason I'm asking, like, you know, if you figured out what you wanted to do or what was different, for me, I asked myself, hey, well, I didn't ask. I just knew. I knew I didn't want to sit at, a, at the same desk every day. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do stuff outside and inside. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be part of a team. I wanted to be a professional good guy. And that's like a silly thing to say, but 
you know, especially the psychology. Involved you want to be a superhero. Well, I think so. Yeah. I th- no, honestly, I think there is psychology there. I grew mm-hmm. up really into like Superman and Batman and then being an older brother and feel, maybe that protective mm-hmm. protector mode. I don't know. But I think I'm very lucky to found, to be able to find what made me happy. Because for a while I was doing like personal training and counting reps and sets and lunges and stuff. And that got pretty old, like super quick. Yeah. Now. Well, you become a, uh, like a psychologist. Yeah, no, no, no. And I think (laughs) I still really enjoy doing that because it's through, through that type of training that you Mm -hmm. can really actually positively affect somebody. Mm -hmm. Because even, even through that world, I remember, um, a guy I was working with wife called me and it wasn't one of those calls, but it was like, uh, called and just wanted to say, Thank you for making, uh, you know, John mm-hmm. a, a better husband, a better father. So that part was like yeah. fulfilling, but the day to day got old. Yeah. But I still think, man, finding the why is really hard for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I think that I'm going to keep chasing the answers. But the other thing I also want to point out is if somebody right now listening, if you're doing something that is keeping you away from that other thing that you really want to do, start doing it because yeah. you're not going to. Time is not a right. It's a privilege. Right. And your ability to, to act on that is not going to take long. Eventually, you're going to have regret, and regret is horrible. Yeah. The longer, I mean, the longer you wait, the less time you're going to have. So, like, if you're going to have less time anyways, you might as well spend that less time. Yeah. It, it reminds me of this, this story of a, a prince. Oh, man, a prince got, like, two parrots as a gift, and they, they weren't flying. And so he hired a coach from, like, a, some other faraway land. Mm to come and teach these birds how to fly. And so uh, he, the, the prince comes and checks on the birds, and one of the birds is like hovering high above the, the, the home, mm-hmm. the little castle. Mm-hmm. And one bird is still sitting on the branch, not flying. So then he goes and he, he hires this like, like uh, lesser-known coach to come, and that person comes, and then the prince comes back a day later, and the other bird is flying, and flying higher than the other bird. Mm-hmm. And he's like, hey, How'd you do it? How'd you get the bird to fly? And he's like, I cut the branch. <laughs> and sometimes you got to cut that branch, man, if you want to fly. But how cool is it? Like you just have parrots that just like hang on your shoulder. Like, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Why, you know, I don't want you to fly. I just want to walk around with my no, parrot yeah. on my shoulder. Yeah, and it, <laughs> yeah, exactly. First of all, I've never understood having birds. I don't know. I had birds growing up. But it's because I... It's because I live, my parents live on a mountain, so it's not like we could have a dog. We didn't have a backyard. So at the time, we couldn't have a dog, but yeah, Daryl and Darlene, they were cockatiels. Daryl risked La Cucaracha. What are the pets? Um, I had hamsters. My brother had guinea pigs. And then we ended up, uh, we had cats. I had one cat that lived to be 20. And then uh, we did end up having dogs, but they were chihuahuas because they don't need a lot of room. (laughs) Yeah. One chihuahua was badass. The other one was kind of lame. I had I had a lot of that stuff. I had two I had two iguanas, Dino and Pebbles. You can't understand birds, but you had an iguana. First of all, let me tell you cool things about iguanas. Yeah, they freak me out. Those are scary. They swim. They swim. They're awesome swimmers. <laughs> I used to put them in the bathtub all the time. I'm seeing like your 10 year olds up. Be like, oh. listen, this is my pet iguana. Yeah, they're dope. They they put their arms down like this, and they and they they're actually really good swimmers. Yeah, they freak me out. Plus, little little uh, little fun fact: they love hibiscus flowers. Oh, it's like candy to them. Is it like catnip for them? Like, is it like the uh, catnip? Man, I don't know. Nothing compares to catnip. Right. 
Nothing compares. Maybe like sprinkled some some meth or something. <laughs> I don't know, but catnip and cats. Sprinkled some meth. Yeah. So it's not the iguana. It's on meth. Yeah, totally. Uh, but I want to hear you talk about your authentic self and what that means and how that helps you focus. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I think that uh, it's it's uh, it's a lot easier to focus when you're doing something you genuinely enjoy. And so I think the hardest part uh, isn't necessarily the work once you've figured it out. I think the hardest part, of course, is finding what you're meant to do. And so for me, I just kept remembering as a kid, people were like, you're, you're going to be great. <laughs> you're going to be awesome. I'm like, really? Because <laughs> at that point, I hadn't done anything. I hadn't tried anything. You know, I was like outspoken and bold, but like I hadn't really accomplished anything. And so, you know, I think it's, awesome to tell people that they're going to be great but i think it's better to give them the tools to uncover what that means and the opportunity to learn how to work hard because i didn't really learn how to work hard until i was like 30 like there there had been moments where i had worked hard leading up to it but consistent hard work i hadn't learned that until i found something that i wanted so badly that there was that I could block out everything else, that I could give up a six-figure job, a Mercedes, my dream apartment, all my stuff that I thought was important. So, Isn't it funny how that's just... First of all, you're very lucky to not um, be driven by money. I mean, I am driven by money. I love money, but well, it's just not everything. That's what I mean. Like, yeah. it's Because some people just do all that because they, they want the money and they yeah. want the stuff, and then that fulfills... Uh, like a false sense of happiness. But I mean, I who who am I to judge someone who's fulfilled by money? Do you know what I mean? That's what it's all. If that's what it's all about for you, then I think too often we judge people for whatever it is that they want. And if money is something that makes you happy, who yeah, am true. I to tell? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's like I think it's so popular nowadays to just be like, oh, it's so much more about money. And I think one of the most powerful things my dad ever told me is money's not everything, but don't romanticize poverty. Because when you do have money, you there's a lot of opportunities that open to you. Like, you know, I had money in savings. So like I had savings, you know, so I could quit my six figure job and I have friends and family with money. So I could pursue my Olympic dream because I get I think my stipend now is a thousand dollars a month. And that goes to paying my student loan. So essentially, I don't make any money. But I'm still on my parents' family plan. So like, I think people want to make money sound evil. And I think that making money at any cost, that, that's the evil part. But there's nothing wrong with loving money. I love money. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you just kind of clarified it for me a little bit. As long as you're happy. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what I mean. Like if you're making... Like, for example, let's say you had your job and you're making money, you had money, but you're still empty and unhappy. Mm-hmm. Then, then there's a problem. Yeah, I think if you, if you come if to If you're loaded point, and miserable. Yeah, it's not impressive, right? No. Yeah. And I guess that's my point of circling back to like even loaded. Like, with I thought. really hope Beyonce is as happy as she makes me watching her in concert. She's good. She's so good. And I hope she's enjoying herself as much as I enjoy her music. Because that's awesome. I hope Serena Williams is stoked on life and makes a crap ton of money 
Like, that's awesome, you know? Someone uh, told me, it was uh, Ryan, who's Ryan Flaherty from the Nike trainer mm-hmm. that we just had on the podcast, that she cleans 300, like, no problem. Seriously? Yeah. Dang. Yeah. And that she's, at least the athletes that he deals with And she with does it without videoing it. And that, yeah, right? <laughs> what? what? It doesn't exist if you didn't what? hashtag it. But uh, <laughs> that she is, is the best athlete that he's worked with. And he's worked with a lot of. Hey, Ryan, if I could meet Serena Williams, that'd be pretty dope. I'm just saying. He's, I'm a, uh, I'd fangirl the crap. You definitely have to check it out. He was recently on the podcast, but I was just listening to him, episode 238 of the Tim Ferriss podcast. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about uh, speed and your force factor and how the hex bar deadlift is directly going to improve your speed. I do that a lot. I wonder why. Yeah. You know why? Because you can move that bobsled a lot faster. Yeah. yeah. Just ordered one, by the way. Nice. Yeah. I really like those. I think it puts you in a better position and it's better for your back. And Or it's... Uh, you use 90% of your skeletal muscle. It's more of a position of uh, applying speed as far as foot speed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, deadlift, you're, you're unfolding. Mm-hmm. But the, the hex bar, it's like a, you're accelerating, right. you're pushing. Yeah. Um, I think uh, you use a high bar, right? The high, the high grips on the yep. hex bar. Mm-hmm. What are you deadlifting now? I don't know. I don't, I don't max anymore. It's not necessary. I can't, I'm going to hook you up with Ryan. Okay. I'm down with that. Cause hey, if I'm going to, I'm going to go another four years and try and win a gold medal at 37, I'm going to need some help. So I'll take all the help I can get. Well, I think, I, th- I mean, uh, he's working with, he works with like all the NFL like mm-hmm. combine folks, but yeah. still. Oh, I mean, that's applicable. That's ass- I'm essentially trying to run a 50 meter dash pushing something heavy. Without using your arms. Exactly. Which is actually easier for me, the less I have to I was going to ask you about the training for that. And do you like practice running with your arms strapped down? No, I think if I had been a track athlete, it might have been a little more awkward. But because my running was so crappy, it didn't matter. Like, I was like, it was actually better. The the less uh, I need to focus on, the better. All right, I want to talk just really quick. You're in the CrossFit gym and someone says, hey, you should try for the bobsled. Like, Okay, you might as well try out for curling too. Or is it like kind of like a joke? Well, I mean, <laughs> I think at the end of the day, I think the reason I ended up actually doing it because there just happened to be another girl in the gym or another woman in the gym that was also training for the bobsled combine. And I was like, well, I'm at least as athletic as she is. So if she thinks she can do it, maybe I could not embarrass myself. Because uh, I didn't actually think I was going to make the team. I was like, I've never heard of bobsled. I've never watched a bobsled race. I mean, I'd heard of it because I'd seen cool runnings. Um, and I had no concept of what it took to be a bobsledder, but I was in Denver and the, the combine was at an Olympic training center and I'd never been to an Olympic training center before. So I was like, you know, it'll be a good story to tell and maybe I'll run into an Olympian and I could buy some like cool team USA gear and that was it. And then. So I'm kind of curious. So you go out, you go up there. Mm -hmm. Down technically. True. From Denver. Yeah. And what is the process besides walking in and getting a cool shirt and meeting some people? Do they give you some like spikes and say, okay, go push that real quick? No. So before you even push anything, and it's funny because I still have the little sticky note on my door. Cause I was like, mom, I need my spikes. And so she like dug them out of somewhere. She was like, here are your spikes, honey. Um, 
So you do a 45 meter sprint and they, they, they give you points for each segment. So 15 to 30, 30 to 45, uh, and then like flying 30. So you get the, you're scored on three areas and then you do a broad jump, which I crushed. Now the sprint is talking like, like a, like a 40, like your hands on the ground or you just like, um, you don't start with your hands on the ground because the timing is so low. So if your hands are down, then you're going to trip the timing eye early, but essentially, yeah. Full on sprints. So you're not coming out of the blocks. It's okay. a it's a static start, and then it's a two handed shot toss, and so and then the broad jump. So they grade you on those three things, and then if you score over a certain point value, you get invited to a camp. And so I got invited to camp in Lake Placid, and that's where they start to teach you how to push a bobsled. And so we have a push track. It's a wheeled bobsled on a track that just goes down and back up, um, and from there, they do a rookie push champs, and then from rookie push champs, you get invited to national push championships, and then from there, you get selected to a sled for uh, team trials. And that process is every year, the push champs and team trials. So you have to make the team every year. All right. Just step-by-step, step, walk me through the setup. Actually, I want to hear about the what you're wearing. And then what you're thinking about when you're walking up to the back of the bobsled to get ready. Like at a race? Yeah. Uh, I actually have my stuff in the car. Um, so you have your bobsled spikes on. You have booty covers on because it's like they're a bunch of little needles. And in the bobsled? No, no. When you're walking up because you have to walk outside. I'm so thinking booty, booty. Okay. No, no, no. Bo- booty. <laughs> yeah. booty covers. That's <laughs> what they call them. They're little spike covers. And then you have... Uh, line pants and, and are they similar to track spikes they are just the spikes are different so okay. like the shoes the same but the spikes that come out of it are different i'll show you they're in the car um you have your helmet on your push clothes on you have a jacket on because it's cold out so mm-hmm. you walk out to the line uh they you take your booty covers off you toss them to the side and someone's collecting your stuff and then they they put the sled down into the track and then uh, usually my push coach is standing there and he's telling us how much time we have until our 60-second clock goes off. So uh, once the track is clear, we have 60 seconds to start um, the run. And you have to wait until a green light goes off because if the green light hasn't gone off, then someone else is still in the track or getting out of the track. And you can imagine how dangerous yeah. that could be. And so then you just start, you take off your sweatpants or your line pants, your jacket. Uh, you get into position. I get down in position, I say set, and then uh, once I say set, the driver gets down in position, she puts her arm up, uh, notifying me that she's ready to go, and then we do something called a connected start. So I start to fall forward into the sled, and she follows me, and then we push, hop in. And so is that fall, like, is this set, and then you start to fall forward? And no, the- I say set, and then she puts her arm up first. Okay. So that lets me know that she's ready, and then I start to fall forward. And so it's her responsibility to stay on that fall? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you come, come back up. How do you set your feet up and what's there to push off of? There's a block. Okay. Yeah. There's a block. And you're taking ten. You're, so you're putting your foot there and you're taking tension out. The reason I'm asking, cause I, so I'm, I'm, my knowledge is, is starting blocks, but mm-hmm. then also, uh, when I used to get myself ready to run a, uh, a route, mm-hmm. I would dig my foot into the grass and then I'd shift it back. So I took out the give. Mm-hmm. So as, as soon as I pushed, there was nothing. There's there's no energy lost. Mm-hmm. So, that's so it's, it's like setting up for a power clean. So there's tension in my arms because I'm like pulling yep, up okay. on the sled. But it's basically a 
horizontal power clean. And then that initial fall, because I, I, I watch some of the videos out there on it. When you're falling, you're, are your shoulders hitting it? And the, is it like that force that kind of starts it moving? No, my shoulders don't hit it, but my elbows do lock out. So you want your elbows to lock out. And then as soon as your elbows lock out, your feet, your foot should come off the block as you're pulling. And that cura- creates the initial uh, momentum. Yeah, so you want the start to be inelastic so that you're going with the sled instead of hitting a because the sled's not moving. Yeah. So you don't want to hit an object and then kind of ricochet off of it. You want to push through it. And are you just like the deepest scream ever? You know, sometimes I yell, sometimes I don't. <laughs> so like the yelling, it's like you yell too much, then you're breathless. <laughs> so yeah. like all the pilots yell, they're just like, ah. <laughs> like sometimes I yell and I'm like, oh, I'm more tired because of it. So I just, no, I just, you know. Just go. I've so, done it so many times that it's just second nature now. Yeah. You know? So you hit that, and then you start, you're just driving, driving, mm-hmm. driving, driving. How many steps do you take? No idea. Because it's not about my steps, about the driver's steps. So the drivers usually take about 18 steps, and then they hop in, and then I take two off of them. But my leg length is so much longer than most. So I have no idea how many steps I take. This stuff is where Ryan would really kind of nerd out on. Cause he start like, uh, Usain Bolt takes less steps than everyone else. That's yeah. why he was faster. I mean, that would be, that would be cause I really don't think I'm utilizing my legs. So he'll man. Okay. He was, cause he's saying he broke it down. The scientific stuff between speed is like the amount of force in the ground. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, stride right he's saying and that's how he got some of the marathon runners he was coaching i forget which country but to he, he, even he's like he took three inches off of a one stride yeah and you add that times 20 something thousand strides mm-hmm. and then it made him a mile faster yeah i mean in my sports in hundredth so yeah we lost a gold medal by seven hundredths that's of a second that over four a, that could be a couple inches yeah and so for me it's like you know shin angle is a big thing uh i wasn't I wasn't a track athlete, so dorsiflexing is something I have to focus on. And then um, how long it takes for me to get my foot back on the ground. Because that's what it is. It's like how quickly can you get your foot back on the ground, off off the ground, back on the ground. Yeah, I was going to say also uh, off. Yeah. Just do me a favor. Check out that his episodes uh, and look into it. And then um, so uh, for the listeners, dorsiflexion is, when you, is the angle between your foot and your shin. And that is when you think about – Lifting your toe closer to your shin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dorsiflexion. And that, what that ends up the doing. The opposite of pointing your toe. Yeah, there you go. That probably wouldn't be, that would have been better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what that does, if you're running, um, it increases your cycle speed. Mm-hmm. It enables, it, it makes your. It you also can, gives you more ground contact. So more of your foot is on the ground. And just, man. Yeah. And what is it, about nine seconds? God, no. Hopefully it's not nine seconds. Eight? It's like. It's like the pushing from the from the the energy going your energy going right into the the bobsled to when you're off the ice. Oh well, the timing eye doesn't start until the first fifteen meters, so it's only time from fifteen to fifty. Oh wow! So I have no idea, but so like we have the start record in Korea, and it's five point two one seconds. I did not know that. Yeah, and you guys start. It's not like three, two, one, go. You guys, because of your, the yeah, the, we had the connected start. So, holy moly! 
All right. So you're pushing, you jump in, you don't wrap your legs around your pilot. I've done that before. (laughs) I did that on my first run. Like you're riding a motorcycle or like, yeah, well I just loaded weird and like my feet went up and she was like, it's funny. It's the same pilot I raced with in the Olympics. So do you cut her? Your spikes get in the way. Oh yeah. I've (laughs) So my biggest, uh, struggle has always been my load because I just, it's not natural to me. Like it's weird. And so I have spiked so many pilots. My friend Jamie is one of my pilots as well. And she just is like, she gets so mad because I keep spiking her and ripping her suit. So yeah, it's a source of contention, but we fixed my load. So we're good. I don't, I don't load the same anymore. So then you get in there, you get your feet on uh, pegs Mm -hmm. or foot pegs, little foot pegs. Mm -hmm. And then you sit in there and then just try and enjoy the ride. Yeah, so um, I count the corners so I know kind of when to pop up. And I also know when like the trouble corners are because for the most part, you want to be pretty relaxed in the back of the sled. But there are different um, tracks that have crash points. So like in Lake Placid, 18 is a big crash point. So you want to be ready for it because if you do tip, you want to be ready to really hold on. But for the most part, I don't hold on very strongly because the more relaxed I am in the back of the sled, the better shock absorber I am because if I'm stiff, then when we hit, it's like, you know, it's not the energy's bouncing back instead of being absorbed by my body. So same thing when it goes to crashes. Mm-hmm. Well, in a car crash. Yeah. 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 You want to be relaxed. That's why the drunk people never get hurt. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so effed up. What is it like when you're the first time you're up at the top there getting ready to go and you have team USA on your chest? Like the first time ever. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the first time I was just like, I can't, I just, I just remember like looking around and being like, what, what am I doing now? It's a huge honor. Like that's, that's why I keep coming back. Cause to have USA on your back is, is pretty cool. Yeah. It's an honor to compete for your country. Yeah. I think that's something, this is that idea and that whole feeling is something I could talk about forever. Mm-hmm. Um, this is why I don't understand why. Like, I don't get why people switch countries to try and go to the Olympics. Because for me, it's not just about the Olympics. It's a package deal. It's competing for the U.S. Like, to be able to say that I'm a, a Team USA Olympian. Like, if I was like, hey, I'm an Olympian. I competed for some country that I have no affiliation to other than the fact that someone in my family was born there at some point. Doesn't do it for me. No, nothing against people who do that, yeah. but it just wouldn't be for me. What were the... Uh Outside of the track, what was the the Olympic atmosphere like and the experience like? Um, it was really neat. You know, Team USA is all in one building. So just being able to interact with other athletes from other sports and because everybody trains differently, everybody's body type is different. Like you can definitely tell that like, you know, the bigger athletes were bobsledders in the Winter Olympics. So that was a lot of fun and just hearing different people's stories and different people's paths. Like at 34 or I guess I was 33 at the time. It was my first Olympics, but there were like 24 year olds where this was like their second, third Olympics. And I'm like, what have I been doing with my life? <laughs> <laughs> been like being an Olympian. Um, so I think that was the cool part. And then um, actually being able to s- see my friends compete. So like I've trained in Colorado Springs for the past two summers and I'm really close with the figure skaters, but I'd never seen them skate. Like that's not 
you know, I sit with them at breakfast and then yeah. we go do training and come back. We sit with each other at lunch and then they go do their training and then I see them in like sports med, but I never have seen them skate. So that was really cool was to see my friends actually compete in their sport. And I'm like, dang, you guys are really good. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. Was there anything like, you know, any, like you got behind the curtain and saw the wizard and disappointed? No, because I think I saw the wizard during the, 2016 process of selection like that's the heartbreaking part is that there's a lot of people that work really freaking hard and don't get to go to the olympics and or like a lot of people that or like for example so my friend john orosco he's a gymnast he was selected to a second team and then a week later he tore his acl or you know and so that that kind of stuff that i saw and also the Olympics is definitely a business as well. You know, it's like the stories that you see are stories that people are, like the the network and sponsors have decided are the stories that you're going to see. Um, so that part is a little bit different, but it's fine because for me it wasn't, it was never about trying to land sponsorships. Those sponsorships are great just because um, it would, I think it would allow me to get my message and my story out there. So that piece of it, like I'm still looking for companies to partner with that will put me in a place to be in contact with my audience, that my, my target market. Um, but other than that, you know, the Olympics were exactly what I wanted out of them. Like, just like we talked about, you choose happiness. And so I chose that I was going to enjoy my experience and I was going to find ways to enjoy it. So like, you know, leading up to the event, I got to see three different events. I went to speed skating, I went to figure skating, I went to half pipe. And then, you know, I just, I did things that I wanted to do. Like, I figured out how to make things work. And so, yeah. You have a, a growth mindset. Yes. Not a fixed mindset, right? Mm-mm. Awesome book, by the way, Mindset, uh, Carol Dwick. And shout out to Logan Gelbrick at Deuce for hooking me up with that book. I love Logan. Yeah, he's awesome. Good dude. Um, what was the half pipe like? The half pipe was different. Like, one, I didn't realize how big it was. And two, I didn't know it went downhill. Like I thought it was like yeah, flat. Right. It look, the way they make it look. It, it looks, looks flat. It's yeah. not. It goes downhill. So that was really cool. Um, so it was fun watching Sean White just search and destroy. Um, and I got a cool selfie with him. He was crying in the background. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Uh, so yeah, the half pipe was really cool. That was definitely a highlight. He's a little fella, huh? Most most of them are little. <laughs> it's just the bobsledders that are massive. I wonder, like, this, the overall average size difference between the Winter Olympics and the Summer Olympics. I think, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, I think a lot of athletes are tiny, and it works in your favor to be tiny, unless you're looking at, like, throwers or yeah. bobsledders, right? So I think a lot of people are small. <laughs> or basketball players. Yeah, well, yeah, true. So when you were at the at the Olympics on your final run, did it feel any different? Did it feel like, oh, this is just like another run? I mean, the nice thing about all four runs is it felt like just another run in the for the right reasons. Like I wasn't more nervous. I wasn't scared. I wasn't worried about my performance. I was confident in what I had to do because I had put in all the work and I felt ready. On the fourth run... It was a little different because I knew we were fighting for a gold medal. 
Like I, I knew we would medal, but I, you know, I really wanted that gold medal. And so I just, my goal going to the Olympics was to have four consistent performances and to not be a hindrance in our overall performance and to add as much as I could. So like things that could hinder is how I get into the sled or like if my hand slips when I hit the sled. So that's really what my focus was, is just to execute uh, like I'd been doing for the past four years. Um, but no, other than that, it was like, it was fun. I had a lot of fun. Like I enjoyed competing at the Olympics. Like every run I would walk out and like lock eyes with some other a person in the crowd that was there to support me. So that was really cool. It was cool for some of my high school friends and my family to see me do what I've been training for on the biggest stage live. That was, uh, cool. that was a lot of fun for me. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, it was fun. Also, thank you for getting after your dream. Yeah, no problem. You know, it's really, <laughs> I mean, it's super cool to see when someone's like happiness and wants and desires and all the work and, and it works out. I know, right? That's, I think <laughs> like that's, really that cool. is cool. I think, and that's, um, I think that's one of the biggest reasons I wanted to do it. You know, I felt support from everywhere. Like I've never been more supported by a coaching staff uh, than I've, I felt from my coaching staff because I was that athlete and there's a lot of athletes that do everything right. But I was that athlete that like really enjoyed the sport because some people get into bobsled cause they know it's an opportunity to go to the Olympics and you know, bobsled isn't for everybody. It's not like, it's not like going down a water slide. It's not like a roller coaster. It's like a controlled car crash. <laughs> and so <laughs> not everybody enjoys that, but you know, every time I get in the back of a sled, it's like an opportunity to learn something and to, to, to push myself to be better. And that's the part that keeps me coming back for more. Um, and so to genuinely love the sport, to have worked really hard and to be so supportive, I wanted to achieve that goal for those people because that's the story I want them to be able to tell future bobsledders. Like, hey, you can be crap at this sport to begin with. And if you work your ass off and there's definitely some luck in there, right? You don't, you don't go to the Olympics without a little bit of luck. Everybody's like, oh, luck is preparation on fire, which is true. But certain stars have to align for, you know, you have to get fired and move here and move there and, you know, have these experiences and make the realizations at the right time in order to be in the position to then execute. And so I think that was the coolest part about it is that there were a lot of people pulling for me. So to be able to be that story of success uh, I think is, is really cool. What was it like for your parents? <laughs> I think it was overwhelming. <laughs> like watching bobsled is terrible live. It's really hard. Uh, there's so many things I don't know about a bobsled track because I get in the sled, I go down it, and then I get shuttled up by a truck, and then I do it again. So I've never really seen most of the track. I don't walk the track. The pilots do that. So there's a lot of like, you walk, you hike as a spectator, you hike all the way to the top of the track. Cause there's no, there's no bus to take you there. How far is it? It's a mile at least. <laughs> uh, and it's a mile like this. Oops, sorry. All twisty and turny. So, and then you're at the top and if you're at the top, you see me for a, a maximum of a minute and then I'm off. And then if you're standing in a corner watching the slide go by, you don't actually ever see me. You said the sled go by for like a hundredth of a second. 
And then if you're at the bottom, you see us finishing the run. So it's not a spectator-friendly sport. Uh, and they'd done a lot to try. Like, there was cameras in our sleds this time. And there was, like, an overview camera, which I really thought was cool. So, like, from a training perspective, I could really see my load, which I really enjoyed. So I need to get that footage uh, So because I have a lot to work on for the next four years. Um, but I think, you know, I kept pretty close to the the, the vest, like how I was doing because I was improving every year and it was starting to look really good, but I didn't want to give my parents false hope. So I think that, you know, once I was named to the team, I was named to Alana Sled. I think the possibility of a medal was there, but like I, I expected to win a medal. I wasn't hoping to win a medal. I was expecting to win a medal. So I think that for them was overwhelming to be like, holy crap, you actually did it. So I'm kind of curious about the, cause I saw some video of, uh, a hockey player telling his dad that he made the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what was it like when you told your parents you made the Olympic team? I shot them a text. <laughs> He's such a millennial. Well, because I was in St. Moritz, Switzerland, and I wanted them to hear it from me before they heard it, like oh, before the you. press was released. But like the way they announced the team is um, they, they pulled each brakeman in individually, and the selection committee told each brakeman whether or not they'd made the team. And then they brought them. Is it like team. American Idol? Kind of what I'm picturing here. Yeah, it was. It was the most stressful day of my life. Was the day they announced the team because like we raced that day. The race didn't go as planned. We didn't qualify the third sled, and then like we finished racing at 2 p.m. and they weren't going to announce the team until 11 p.m. So you just had to sit mm. and wait all day. And I'm not the most patient. Per- I'm like the opposite of patience. So the people that didn't make it, do they immediately get kicked out of Switzerland? No. So, <laughs> um, and, and that's tough because I, as excited as I was to make the team, I understood that there were people who worked just as hard as I did that got the other news. And so mm-hmm. that was really hard. And so they have the opportunity to stay because we still have one more World Cup to go. And so there's still the option to continue on with the team if they want, but they have the option to leave as well. And so I think all of them decided to leave because it's kind of like, I don't want to be here and watch you be all excited and yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm crushed. And so, and I understand that. Um, and then one person is selected as the P credential, which is the alternate. And that's a tough role, right? Because like you're so close and you have to watch it all and you go there and you get some of the swag, but you don't get all the swag. And so that's, that's a tough position too. But I texted my parents cause they didn't tell us until 1130 PM at night, my time. And I'm, in Switzerland, and I can't call each person individually, so it was easier to have a family text. What did it say? I think it said I'm going to the Olympics. I think it's on my phone. You looking? So you're looking it up right now? Yeah, I think it was. I'm going to the Olympics. That was it. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Did they respond like as a spectator? No, they knew. <laughs> <laughs> they knew. Where like as it? the alternate? Yeah. No, they knew. Because I, I, I think it would have been a different text if that were the case. Yeah, where is it? Do you think your parents are more proud of the fact that you made it to the Olympics or, and won an Olympic medal or that you found something, found you happy and get a, got after it? Uh, I think that they think it's really cool that I went to the Olympics and won a medal. I think for my dad, I think he's just happy if I'm happy and safe 
and can provide for myself. Cause that was like his big thing. Like you go home to your dad and say, Hey dad, I'm quitting my six figure job to go screw around in the back of a bobsled for four years, you know? And for him, it's tough because he's, he's a clinical psychologist. And so he's always, he's basically, he, it's not like he has a guaranteed paycheck, like he has to get another case. And so for him, he knows that struggle of like trying to pay your mortgage and raise a family and pay for things your kids need and want and your money is not secure. So to him, it was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're leaving this lifestyle where you're, you're guaranteed to get paid on a, you know, every two weeks to go do something that's not guaranteed. So for him, it was hard. For my mom, it's kind of like, she's just, she just knows I'll figure it out because I got that from her. Like, I will just figure it out. Like, it's just, we'll figure it out. Um, so I think for them, they're just excited. My, I think my dad's excited that I'm happy and safe and, and things like that. And I think for my mom, she's just like me. So she's like, yeah, of course you were going to go do it. That's just what you do. So. Well, I think you probably have something that a lot of parents hope they have in their kids. At least I hope I have, uh, teach my kids to have, but that is just like I have up on this poster here, the Sisu, but having grit and resilience yeah, and determination. It's definitely learned. It yep. starts out by, I think I was, I was, uh, I think by definition now a spoiled child. Like I was spoiled because I would f- like argue with my parents about what I wanted and why they should give me what I wanted. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think growing up I was a pain in the ass and I'm still a pain in the ass. But I think that especially for women and young girls, like, you know, when, when girls are assertive, they're called bossy. I was definitely bossy. And so I'm, I'm proud to be a bossy woman. <laughs> but as now as an Olympic medalist, and if you were speaking to a group of, say, you know, seventh grade girls, mm-hmm. what message do you want them to know? I don't think you talk about the medal. You talk about, or the Olympics, or the title, because it's not about that. I mean, it is. It's awesome. It's something I wanted for myself. But I think too often, and I think that was my problem. Like, growing up, I saw that my parents were successful, but I never saw the path that it took for them to get there. So if all you see are examples of success and you don't see people working through problem solving, like that's, I think, where we struggle is people don't have problem solving skills. Like parents always want to give their kids what they didn't have. Uh, But the reason I think people are successful is because they weren't given everything that they they wanted right away. And there's there's select few. There's some people who are born with a lot of money and a silver spoon and they're they have the ability and the empathy to do great things. I'm not saying like if you're born with money or if you're, you know, born into a family of success, you can't be successful. It just, you know, that emotional intelligence takes time to develop, I think. And so I think because I'm going to be a commencement speaker at my high school and the story I want to tell them is the story of getting fired and the story of moving around and being unsatisfied with my work. And, you know, at the end of the day, just because you don't, love what you're doing now doesn't mean you won't find what you love but you need to be the type of person that people want to help and be a part of so like I didn't love what I was doing at ADT I still worked my ass off because I had a I had a responsibility to the people that I hired and trained to be the best version of myself to help them be the best version of themselves and I think because I was able to work through a situation that wasn't ideal 
it made me the type of person that other people wanted to help and be a part of that story. And you, there's, you can't get, I don't, I don't become an Olympic medalist without a lot of help from a lot of people. Um, another thing I also saw a quote that you said, and that is, if I look in the mirror, my body is absolutely perfect and not enough women feel that way. Yep. And that to me, I, I'm obviously I'm a, I'm a guy, but that still resonated with me. Mm-hmm. And can you talk a little bit about that and, and, and I'm interested in how you developed um, contentment with yourself. Um, you know, growing up, it was hard because so I went to an all-girls school, um, and most of the girls there were Caucasian. I was one of a few African Americans. I had a class of sixty-one, and actually, there was five black girls in my class, and that that's actually pretty high for like that school. Um, but I just remember like growing up, just not being the I deal of what you know pretty was like I was I didn't have blonde hair and blue I didn't have blue eyes like you know my hair is more resistant <laughs> and so like <laughs> I just remember being like man I'm just not like these other girls and so it was like tough when it came to boys and I just never felt like I I wasn't the hot friend like I had friends who were the hot friend and I remember one of my friends who I would would have considered the hot friend she just got engaged uh which is really exciting. And, uh, I just remember being like, if I'm going to be her friend, I can't be jealous of her. Like that's not going to work. So I'm just going to have to be okay with the fact that right now she's the hot friend and that's fine. And she wasn't just a hot friend. She's intelligent and sweet and kind. And there was so much more to her than her looks. And then I was like, well, if there's more to her than her looks, there's more to me than my looks. Um, and I've always been a, like a deep thinking person, like even as a kid, cause I had a lot of anxiety growing up. So like I'd have this feeling of anxiety and I'd have to go through like a checklist to make sure that there wasn't anything I was missing. Like, why am I feeling this way or whatever? Um, and so, but then it was like, I found sports and I was the best in most of the sports that I did at school. And so it was like, I may not have been the quote unquote pretty girl, but, um, I was the best in these things. And so I think athletics was great because it gave me a different outlet to look at myself in a different way. And then I realized like, you know, the sum of who I am is not my current experience and not where I am in life now. Like that is to be determined later on. And so when I started getting opportunities because of athletics, I realized that I was only getting these opportunities because of what my body allowed for me to do. Like I remember my first soccer game, I was eight years old. And the, the girls were like, you know, we're going to lose because Karen Lotta's on the other team. And I was like, you've never played with Lauren Gibbs before. Now we lost, but I was like, screw it. Ooh, I don't care. You know, I don't care who this girl isn't. Karen Lotta is an incredible soccer player. I don't know if she's still playing soccer. Karen, what's up? Um, but I think my body gave me opportunities that I wouldn't have had if I didn't have this body. So I think that's kind of where it started. And then I just really like muscles. I think it looks good on me. <laughs> like I always, I've always been muscular. I have a, you, I have a picture of me at five with a six pack. I came out this way. And so like if I had a choice to be muscular or not muscular, I always choose muscular because I didn't need to call someone to move. I can do it myself. And I didn't need to call someone to pick up someone, something heavy. I could do it myself and I could get things done faster than people. I didn't always have to ask for help for things. And so I think that's where it started is like, what my body allowed me to do and accomplish is perfect. I, this is something also I've, I've been 
interested in. I've talked to Lindsay Valenzuela about it. I love Lindsay. She's fantastic. She's so great. Uh, I've talked to... Um, She's also a volleyball player, so we have that in common. She's a much better CrossFitter than I am, though. And holy smokes, you talk about passion and drive. <laughs> yeah. Like, so much passion and drive that, like, she tortures herself a little bit. Like, I love when she gets <laughs> angry. When she gets fired up, I'm like, yes, queen. Yeah, when I see... I, you know, when I see that much passion... I wonder, I just, I, I, a little bit of envy because like, mm-hmm. I want to have that about something. Yeah. That's how I'm about Bob's son. I think my coaches were always worried about me because they're like, you're so hard on yourself. I'm like, uh-huh. They're like, well, you know, you're too hard on yourself. And I was like, what does that even mean? Why should I give my pa- myself a pass if I'm not executing the way I expect to be executing? Like, it doesn't mean I have a self-confidence issue. You've met me. I don't have a Mm -hmm. self-confidence issue. But I'm not going to deceive myself about where I am because deceiving yourself about your skill and ability isn't going to get you to your goals. Like, people, you need to learn how to take some criticism. Like, I remember at one point my coach looked at me. He's like, she's just better than you. That was his response. I was like, you asshole. But it was true. At the time, this person he was talking about was better than me. And so to be able to have open and honest conversations about your deficiencies is probably the best lesson I've ever learned. And that's tough. Yeah, it sucks. That's because, tough. Because, like, you know, I worked my ass off for four years, and I actually probably, work, I probably worked harder in the first two years than I did in the second two years um, just because I was trying to figure out. I was overtraining. I was trying to figure out what was best for me. Um, but, yeah, you've got to be able to ask and take honest feedback there's a few things that i think are like emotional superpowers and one of them is the ability to stay calm Mm -hmm. under pressure Mm -hmm. and another one just like you said is the ability to uh receive negative feedback Mm -hmm. and use it for as a strength yeah it's kind of part of the reason i say vulnerability is strength obviously means a lot of different things Mm -hmm. but that type of that ty- that's what it is. It's you're being vulnerable and your your weaknesses or things you suck at are being exposed. Yeah. And you know them. It's just somebody else is saying it. Right. And then what are you going to do with it? Instead of pointing the finger at somebody else. Well, this is your fault. You didn't coach me well enough. Or, Right. Well, I mean, if, if that's the reason that you're not successful, then you'll never be successful. If it's something that you can do different or better, then that means you have the opportunity to be better. That's some deep shit. It is. And I really, I hope people out there really kind of hit the the rewind button Mm -hmm. and listen again. And then I also, and I've talked about this before about like uh, selfies and bathroom selfies online and then comparisons, especially the moms, you know, talk about moms and and taking selfies and then having the kid and then being in a rush to get back to something that they perceive. That's what I love about Miranda. Yep. Uh, I guess Alcaraz now, right? Uh, or is it still Aldrin? I don't know. One of the two. Yeah. But that's what I love about her. She's just like documented all of it. Yeah. I'm a little, I'm actually a little soft right now, so I need to start documenting it too. <laughs> I think some people, they look at my Instagram, I take a lot of shirtless selfie uh, pictures with my abs, but they're not always that like that. So yeah, it's important like- for people to see that too. Like I only have, I only have uh uh, you know, self-control when it's necessary. <laughs> and right now it's not necessary. But that's, that's an important thing is, is to own it and be happy about yeah, it. Yeah, but I still love my body even at this weight, so I don't care. Yeah, little, add a little bit. Like, I've always, I've had this argument. Like, let's just say there's a pint of ice cream here. Mm-hmm. 
let's say I, I want to eat it, but I'm not going to because it's not good for me. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to have some anxiety and stress about not eating it. Mm-hmm. And anxiety and stress is not healthy for you. No. Cortisol levels. Right? Yeah. But now let's just say I do eat it mm-hmm. and I'm totally happy about it mm-hmm. and I have no regret. Even though I just ate a pint of creamy, delicious sugar, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's probably not good. Yeah. But now I don't have that anxiety and stress yeah. about it. I don't know. It's this whole... And the thing is, my problem is, isn't just eating the pint of ice cream once as ice cream is not my thing, but the, it's the everyday thing. That's the problem. Yeah. Everything in moderation. That's why I, I, I count my macros now. I work with WAG, which is great. Uh, it's, it's changed my life and allowed me to live my Olympic dream because weight has always been an issue and they dropped the weight rule like for women and bobsled. So I had to lose more weight. So that was tough. But uh, yeah. Well, with it, you are... Like Aristotle said, you are what you repeatedly do. Mm-hmm. So if one day and right now, I'm breakfast burritos. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> From where? Lucky Boy in Pasadena. The best breakfast burrito on oh, the planet. Man. I'm so, that sounds so you, good right now. You, breakfast, the bacon breakfast burrito is literally amazing. It's the, it's, if you're in the LA area, go to Lucky Boy. Um, so, and I wanted to save this towards like the back third here of the podcast right uh because what you have to me yes you're an awesome woman first beyond olympian and i think that's part of the reason why uh i'm so interested in you in your path and have so much joy in seeing you do well Mm -hmm. at your goal but also um an awesome role model not only for for girls but for for dudes as well Mm. For every, like you said at one of your press conferences, is uh, it's like a any any little kid out there can do it if they set their hopes and dreams towards mm-hmm. something, right? Yeah. But then, so can adults. And adults, yeah. And adults. I think that was the that was the key. It's like I wasn't like this isn't something I've been Bob's isn't something I've been dreaming about since I was six. <laughs> yeah, hey, thir- I'm thirty. I'm going for the Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> said no one ever. Right. Lauren Gibbs. Yeah. <laughs> Is anybody else like? Who I mean, is there anyone else you can think of that had this kind of sort of? Well, like so, Lauren Williams, mm-hmm. the first Lauren of bobsled, USA bobsled. She uh, she came out for the team the year of the Olympics. So technically, she bobsledded for like six months and made the Olympics. But she was already an Olympian at that point. She was an Olympic gold medalist from the Summer Games. Yeah, from track. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure there's other people out there. That's a different story. She doesn't count. She, she she totally counts. She does. She's incredible. No, no. What, what I'm saying is she she had the track background. She's yeah, already but like bobsled is hard to pick up in six months. Yeah. She's okay. So she's an incredible yeah, athlete. She's amazing. She runs. I remember my first combine uh, when she was there. Out of shape, ran a thirty meter and a three six six. So thirty meter sprint. And That's savage. Yeah, my fastest. In the best shape of my life is a 388. <laughs> so she's not actually running. She's moving the earth. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> or like uh, time traveling. <laughs> yeah. She's time traveling. Yeah. But uh, so I want to get a lot of those messages out. But also another important one uh, had to do in which I couldn't believe was all over the Internet. <laughs> yeah. Was, it went viral. Was uh, Ivanka Trump. Mm-hmm. Trump's daughter was mm-hmm. there uh, representing um I guess representing the White House, I'm not, I forget what her her role is there. She's obviously the president's daughter, but either way, 
she was there to, and submerged herself with some of the Olympic athletes. Mm-hmm. And at some point in time, at least one selfie you took and posted. Mm-hmm. Uh, please tell the listeners a little bit about what happened. So I posted a selfie because, so I would say that I do not align my political views with our current administration. That being said, Donald Trump at the end of the day is our president. And uh, as a U.S. citizen, I respect the office of the president, even though I don't necessarily agree with the things that he says or how he says them or how he treats people. But that's neither here or there. Like, he was elected. And until proven otherwise, elected in 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 our current system. Mm-hmm. So uh, Ivanka Trump came to watch bobsled specifically because we have a lot of military presence, and one uh, athlete in particular is a Green Beret, and he had paid to fly his little girls over, and so I think her kids really like bobsled, so she came to watch the four man race, and they wanted some athletes to sit with her because like if you don't know anything about bobsled then you're just watching the same thing happen over and over again and so at some point and sarah sanders our, our white house press secretary was there too um and at some point i was sitting there talking to the two of them and it like we weren't we weren't talking politics because i'm not a political person i don't like to get into politics they depress me a little bit and they overwhelm me um i'm more about like common sense like if you want to marry somebody and it's not hurting anybody else do your thing, mm-hmm. you know, don't shoot people. <laughs> Simple, like generally frowned upon. Yeah. Don't you like, so that that's kind of like, I'm more of a common sense person. And so I remember talking to them and like, at some point I forgot that I was talking to Ivanka Trump and I forgot that I was talking to Sarah Sanders. I was just having a really nice conversation about like my goals and the Olympics and the experience and being an American. And I was really proud of the moment. And so I wanted to share it. And I, you know, I think, I can't remember exactly what I wrote, but to something to the effect of, you know, it's important to remember that we don't always have to agree uh, on everything in order to be civil to each other, enjoy each other's company. And you could probably pull it up faster than I could. I don't have the actual, I just have a conversation that happened afterwards. Yeah. So I posted that and I figured like, I posted it on Twitter because I don't have a ton of Twitter followers. But one of the things that I've been doing this entire journey is just sharing my experiences with people like i've posted like my training the trials tribulations of trying to become an olympian becoming olympian and then when i was at the olympics trying to give people at home the best idea of what it was like for me at the olympics because like you've been on this journey with me for four years like it's only fair that you know what it's like so i posted selfies with sean white uh, I posted a picture with Adam Rippon and Gus Kenworthy, who are two of my favorite humans of all time, and I love everything about what they do. Uh, and say, you know, I posted a picture with Lindsey Vaughn, and so I didn't think it was any different to post a picture with the first daughter. Like, how many times do you get to meet people who work with our current administration or part of the first family? Like, that's an honor. I don't care what your mm-hmm. politics are. And people just lost their mind. And I think, uh, I think the the narrative that like some news channels like Fox News and, and things posted that I took that I took the selfie down because I was being bullied. Now you know me very well. You no one can bully me. <laughs> but what was happening was that it got retweeted ten thousand times, and people were commenting back and forth over twenty thousand times. 
And some people were attacking me, and I don't care who you attack me. If you don't know who I am personally, you've never met me, and you think I'm a piece of shit, well, that's your opinion. I don't care. But what was happening was that people were utilizing the picture to push their own agenda about the administration and about the where we are in our society. And like that's not why I posted the picture. The picture was supposed to be about, you know, the ability to have civil discourse, which we've now lost in this country because of social media and because of news. You know, people put out stories and they read the headlines and they don't read the full story and they make decisions and then they they retweet those decisions and then someone else says it, sees it and does the same thing. And I've been guilty of it too. I've seen it highlight and be like, what the hell? You know? And so I deleted it. And I knew when I deleted it, it was like, I had all these people be like, oh, you're a true American hero. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I just posted a selfie. So then when I deleted it, the other side went ham on me. They're like, you're a coward. You're spineless. And I was like, no. What I am is someone that has a Twitter account. And I have my First Amendment right to post what I want on that account. And I also have the right to take down what I have on that account for whatever reason. And my biggest pet peeve is that people were jumping to conclusions and assumptions without understanding why I posted it and why I deleted it. And what I found was that the extremes of both sides of politics are the same. They hate you for not doing what they believe is correct. You know, uh, and again, this is, please correct me if I'm wrong, but this is not because it was two Americans, but it's because one was black and one is Donald Trump's daughter. There, it was a number of things. It was um, because of the things her father has done and said. It was because I was black and she was white and the administration. Um, yeah, so if I had been, because I, I know some of my, my white teammates posted it and they didn't get any backlash. <laughs> but like, you know, isn't that kind of the same thing? The whole thing is kind of <laughs> the whole thing is ironic to me. Mm-hmm. Incredibly ironic. It's so ironic. Yeah, because your message it was like, "Hey, it doesn't matter. This is about unity." Yeah, does it? We it don't, wasn't about politics. Like we can. People were like, "Would you pose a Would you post a picture with Hitler?" Well, of course not. But you can't I put mean, Hitler. That's a little, that's a little you different. You can't put Hitler that's and Ivanka Trump in the same place. <laughs> yeah, like, how many? She's not murdered millions of people. She like, seems like a pretty generally good person, from what I've been able to tell. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes I think people are frustrated because she probably has more clearance, security clearance, than she should. Her being her position, but would they say the same thing if it was a man doing what she's trying to accomplish? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. There's so, the there's so many avenues. I honestly, people are like, I don't know how you dealt with that much backlash. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, and maybe I'm sick, but it gave me the opportunity to respond to people who were infuriated with a very calm head. And the number of people that I actually were able to break down those walls and anger and have like civil conversation with was pretty incredible. And 90% of the people who messaged me were like, hey, you're awesome, either way. And some people messaged me and you're like, you know what, I don't agree with what you did. I wouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have, either you shouldn't have posted it or you shouldn't have taken it down. But I was able to explain myself to be like, oh, to a point where they're like, okay, well, you're right. You do have that right to do that. And that's what it comes down to. Like, I have the right to protest or 
speak my mind in the way that I want. Like people go all up in arms about uh, people kneeling for the flag. That's not something that I would do personally, but you can't say that we have the freedom of speech when it feels comfortable for you. That's not how it works. Uh, along, kind of along these same lines, I was just looking it up on my phone. Um, I recommend people to go, if you haven't listened to it, go listen to episode three, Strength to Love. And I named it after a book um, on my shelf here that is um, a collection of sermons from Martin Luther King. Mm. And in my opinion, if he saw that photo, he'd probably be pretty proud of it because it's about love. That That's yeah. the only way to get rid of um, hate. You know, the light is how you get rid of darkness. Mm-hmm. And it's about unity and agreeing. Like, nobody, you're not going to come across people that agree with you on everything. Yeah. But that's how you get different perspectives and that's how you grow. Right. Like, I can hang out. I hate wasabi. You know, I can <laughs> hang out with my best friend and love wasabi. We're yeah. good. Yeah. It doesn't mean like, yeah. I don't know. But the other thing that I like that you stood up for is like, hey, man, this is like, I'm enjoying myself. I'm following my dream. I thought this moment was really cool. I'm not going to allow you to use me as a platform for hate. Mm-hmm. Like, you go go take your hate and be mad somewhere else. Yeah. Like, you can go use someone else's selfie. This is not going to be mine. Cause and it's, it's still, the funny thing is people are like, oh, I can't believe you deleted it. That's the nice thing about the internet. It's always going to be out there. What I said will always be out there. Mm-hmm. So even though it's not on my page, the selfie's still out there. And people, I think sometimes people, rep- the people who are mad about me deleting it, they repost it thinking that I'm somehow ashamed of taking it or I regret taking it or posting it. I don't. I just, when you have 20,000 people fighting back and forth and your name is tagged, your your social media account is no longer your own. And I wasn't going to allow strangers to take control of my account in that fashion. Like, it's mine. I, I, I don't want to, every time I open my Twitter, to see hate on it. You know, it's like, let's just say there, uh, I don't know, it, to me, and I guess maybe it just, it says something more about the actual person, but I thought it was a beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. Like, you make it a moment of unity. Yeah. You don't have to turn it into like a, yeah. a fight and a divide. Or it's just like, we're enjoying the Olympics and yeah. being American and like, that's it. That's it. That's it. It was not political. I'm not a political person at all. I couldn't, I mean... I could not, like, first of all, I was like, of all the stuff, this is all over, I mean, Time, ABC, like, all the news sources, that was, this is, this is a thing, this is what we're doing now. It went so viral, it was crazy. Like, I, because, like, literally at the time, I had, like, a thousand followers, so I was like, ah, it may get retweeted a few times, but, like, I woke up the next morning, I was like, well, it's a little more than a few. Yeah, yeah, but when I saw it and all this stuff happening, um, Generally, with like people that uh, that I, I respect, I get defensive. Yeah, a lot of people did. But at the same time, I had like a sense of um, calm because I knew it was you. And I knew mm. you, how you are. I knew you'd be okay. Yeah. I was like, ah, Lauren's cool. I know. I think my mom messaged like, "You you good?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm good." You know, if my friends were like, "Oh, this is making me anxious," but like, I guess if someone like you or someone like my mom was like, "Hey, Lauren, you're a piece of shit." And I'd stop and be like, oh, crap. I could potentially be a piece of shit and I need to look at that. If someone on social media that doesn't even have the b- balls to have uh, the picture of their face on there says I'm yeah. a piece of crap, well. Yeah, first you have to, if someone is going to 
say something that's going to hurt you, first you have to like give them the respect to even do so. Yeah, or just care what they think. Yeah. Like you don't, you don't actually know me. You think you do because you think uh I don't know what you think. You think cuz I'm a Olympic athlete or that I owe you something. I don't owe you anything. Yeah. Like And I wish when people saw stuff online in the media on social media I wish the initial reaction was like if it's something they're perceiving as bad, mm-hmm. I wish they had the ability to stop for a second and give the benefit of a doubt. Like or if I could put not like even optimist- the benefit of a doubt, you can, you can, when you look at something, you could wholeheartedly disagree with it. And there's plenty of things. But if you do disagree with it, just take a second to understand why someone potentially feels that way. Because when you can get into someone else's way of thinking, that's the only way to then have a conversation with them that maybe will result in a, in a change. And I think I, I credit that to my sales experience and like my, my management managerial experience. Cause whenever you walk into a new company or a new situation, my, my rule of thumb is in order to change it, you have to understand why it was the way it was. Cause there's no new things in business, right? Business is cyclical. It's mm-hmm. like, Oh, we're going to do this and we're going to implement this, this idea and this thought and this protocol. And we're going to, we're going to work really hard to get up and running. And it works because you execute it flawlessly in the beginning. It stops working because you get lazy and you don't execute the things that, that got you there. And then someone comes in with a quote unquote new idea, which is the same thing they were doing before this quote unquote new protocol was put in place. And then same thing, they execute it flawlessly and that's why it works. And so I think, you know, that's where, you know, so many, so much of who I am is, the sum of my experiences and like I just I like doing what I want to do and getting what my way and so I've just found a way to work hard and the right things to be successful but you know it's like you to to change something you have to understand why it is the way it is so take a moment and think a couple of steps deeper than you're used to mm-hmm. so exactly. this reaction that whatever you're seeing is and yeah. then putting it through your own filter in which it tends to be negative in a lot of people. Right. And I understand the reason why people react is because they're scared and it's a scary time that we're living in. Like it's, it's where our country is right now. It, it may be where we've always been, but because of social media and, and news, we see it more. Um, I know, but I, th- I think a lot of times the electronic information comes across angry and negative. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, cruising around, I don't see it too. Like, I might see somebody. I don't know. I stand in line, I don't see all the anger. Right. You know. And what's funny is you could be standing next to someone that completely disagrees with your feelings, or like, you know, if you have something against, you know, gay marriage, you could be standing next to a, a homosexual male who's married to a guy, uh, but because it's not written on his chest, you, you don't know, and you could have a very nice conversation with him and realize this guy is just like you. But now because you find out that he loves men <laughs> the way you love women, that's a problem. That doesn't make any sense to me. See what yeah. I'm saying? Nope. It's all about common sense. I don't get it. Yeah. Someone explain to me how who someone goes to bed with is negatively impacting your life. I don't get it. <laughs> the same, same thing about 
I mean, it's silly, but like, I don't, I, I just don't understand how anyone likes wasabi or ginger. <laughs> same I don't, thing. I don't understand it. Same, same. Or hot, hot, hot salsa. Right? That's Paul over here. <laughs> but I don't, I'm like, but cool, man. We're good. Are we good? Like, hey, I don't understand it. I don't agree with it. In fact, you're trying to feed me. I'm going to kick you in your throat. But like, we're good. And that's, wow, that's like. I keep trying to get a ginger coffee. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's how passionate you don't like I don't ginger? like. You don't like ginger? Not at all. Ginger's not even spicy. I want to like it. I'd love to. I w- Do you I'd, like onions? You know, a little bit, but if they're grilled, they're good. <laughs> so you just don't like it. Like, I'll, I'll get the onions out of the my salad. That's funny. But that's, I don't know. To me, that's the same. Yeah. It's yeah. the same type of thing. Or like if someone likes a different sports team. Yeah. Not, now, my, like, what I really have trouble with is people who use PCs. Like, I can't. I can't get on board with that. That's something I just can't. What? Using, oh. what, using what? PCs instead of a Mac. Oh. Yeah. They still have those? I know. Or like, why would you have a Galaxy phone when you've seen the iPhone? Well, Samsung, the pictures on a Samsung are, are really good. Like looking at them or taking them? Taking them. Oh. Well, the iPhone X is pretty I, good, right? I do. In portrait I, mode. I love my iPhone 10. I just... That's, is that is that we say it? 10 is not X? I mean, it's the same I don't same. know what the kids say. It's same. I'm not a kid. <laughs> so four more years. Four more years. It's like a campaign. Yeah, I'm trying to upgrade the metal in my backpack to a gold. Same pilot? I don't know. I don't know who's going to be around in four years. What are you going to change in the next four years that you didn't do in the first four years? Well, I think these past four years I was training scared because I thought I only had four years. And I, I had so much ground to make up because I was coming in at a deficit because I don't have a track background and I had to learn how to sprint. Now that I've done it, it's like, okay, I'm an Olympic medalist and no matter what the color of the medal is, I think I would continue on. So I think as it gets closer, I will be equally as stressed, but in these these like first two years, I can really take the time to like just really focus on recovery and like, uh, you know, training smarter and because I, I always just felt like I was running out of time. Now I feel like I have more time because I've already accomplished my goal. And so now whatever additional years I get in bobsled is just icing on the cake. Do you have Which like, is funny because I don't really like icing. Do you have like 0.07 written up places? No, no. I do think about it every now and then though. I'm like, uh, what I have written up are things that I can control. So like I want to, have a certain 30 meter sprint time and I want to be able to maintain a certain weight more consistently. So like focusing on the 0.07, I have, I have no control over that. And so that's not going to get me to where I mm-hmm. want to be. Speaking of the weight, I mean, again, we talked about Ryan before, but again, into his equation, if you read about it, mm-hmm. if you stay at a certain weight, let's just say, I don't know, what's your bobsled game day weight? 170. So at 170, let's just say you hex bar deadlift 500 pounds. Mm. If you can get to 550, that 170 is going to be faster. Right. Yeah. The whole, I don't know. I'm really interested in learning out on this stuff. And I'm going to tell him, hey, Ryan, I think you can get the bobsled team to win gold. Break it down. Are Um, you staying out here, traveling around? Both. So I'm hoping to train in Chula Vista this summer. Uh, which is in San Diego. I've spent the last few summers in Colorado, but I think, you know, one of the things people are like, oh, you give up so much to bobsled. And I was like, I don't really 
give up anything. It's a life I've chosen. But one thing I don't get to do is see my family as often as I'd like. So if at least if I'm training in California, because I have a niece and a nephew and obviously my mom and dad, my brother and sister-in-law, um, I can hopefully see them more. And it's just nice to have a change in pace. Like it's a, a new quad and, you know, it's, so I'm, I'll travel to different training centers to train. I'll be in like Placid in Colorado. Um, and quad is a four year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, start public speaking. Like that's something I'm really passionate about. And I think that it's, it's my way of changing the world. Um, so, you know, I, I have a business background and sales background, but I also have an athletic background and so I think I bring to the table uh, something a little different than the average athlete and the average, you know, person in business. And so um, being able to meld those two together, there, there are things that I've learned that are applicable in both. And so I'd love to be able to speak to colleges and I'm heading up to Providence to speak to Bryant University in a few weeks. And I'd love to speak to sales teams and, and corporations and, and, and businesses. That's awesome. Yeah. So if somebody listening are interested in having you come to their location how do they reach you um they can go on my instagram is easy i have a linkedin as well um but there's a little email link on my instagram so la gibbs 84 and you can shoot me an email um and then you can find me on linkedin lauren gibbs and hey all those linkedin like notifications am i supposed to do something with those if you if you want to you don't have to um I don't want to finish without getting this out there also. And before the show, I asked you if there's any uh, quotes or poems or sayings or anything that mm. meant anything to you. Mm. And you sent me this. And it's, this is um, actually something you said. Mm-hmm. And it's, work harder, work harder, work harder, and stop complaining about having to work harder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that is like... <laughs> That's it. Just do it, like you know, like Nike, and don't complain about it. Yeah, I love Nike. Holler, holler at me, Nike. I love you. Um, I'm really proud of you. Thanks. And no, thank you, because it's like gave me a, re- a reason to really, really pay attention to what was going on. Uh, it's nice to be able to see someone like you doing so well. Thanks. And somebody like you. I, don't, I mean, I honestly like don't think of, can't think of anyone really better to represent the United States, especially a, a, a time where social media and the media has put us in this position. I'm really proud. Thanks. I'm glad as you. I'm proud too. Um, you guys follow Lauren at LA Gibbs 84. Also the show at the Sisu way on Instagram, I'm starting to do a little bit more stuff there. Um, also at one Scott McGee, but a lot of the stuff related to the show is going to be at the CC way. Also go on iTunes and uh, please give a review. I'm not going to say a good one, a bad one. Just be honest. Um, five stars is appreciated. Uh, thank you for listening. And all the people that write in, I've been receiving a lot of really good messages. There's a lot of people out that through this podcast, this weird like internet radio recording thing that has connected me with a lot of like, deep people that are like strong, vulnerable and open to communicate. And it's odd through social media, you know, social media gets a lot of um, negative press a lot, but there's so much good there Mm -hmm. if you just look for it. Yeah, there is. And I've been able to connect and have conversations. Some of the best conversations I've been with people I've never met before. Yeah. 
And I think that's something that's a really cool opportunity. And for those of you that are listening, you know who you are. Um, thank you. Um, another plug also, this hat I'm wearing that says strength is a Barbo Buddha hat. So look that up because it supports uh, Chris's family. And not sure when we'll be back. Depends on how my mama bear goes. Yeah. Um, and that being said, remember that health is wealth, vulnerability is strength, and strength is a choice. You are the master of your fate. You are the captain of your soul. So be uncomfortable. Unconquerable and get up strong. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you.